Welcome to the Mixing Babies and Business podcast, where parenthood meets professional development. We'll be covering all things business, flexible, and remote work with kids. I'm your host, Amy Lynch, and I'll be interviewing inspiring guests who've been showing up as their full selves as parents and blurring the lines between their personal and professional lives. Visit mixingbabiesandbusiness.com to join our movement to parents seeking to invest in themselves alongside their kids. The next interview series on the podcast features Heather Payne, a parent and the CEO of Juno College, formerly HackerU. Heather founded Ladies Learning Code in 2011, since rebranded to Canada Learning Code with offerings for all ages, and has been named one of Canada's top 100 most powerful women in the trendsetters and trailblazers category, as well as one of the Globe and Mail's top 12 Canadian innovators at work. Our conversation is split into three parts. In this second mini episode, we talk about rebranding an organization, encouraging feedback as a leader, and exploring new parent-friendly programming options. Let's get into it. And as a parent and a founder yourself, have you ever come across in the last, we'll say, five years, because I want to include the pregnancy period that really impacts you usually um, as a professional, have you found that you've been limited by opportunities or chances to invest in yourself? Or have they have they changed? And have you wished that something existed in the market for yourself? And is that kind of what has driven you to create things that are more flexible for people? Or is it 100% just based on your feedback from your students to date? Yeah, I would say like going back to my childhood, I have a real like obsession with um, inclusivity and including people. And, you know, when I was a kid, it was about like seeing a kid on the outskirts of the circle and always being the one to like pull that person in so that they don't feel left out. But I, I, I've i always had a real um, obsession with that kind of thing. And I think it maybe comes from me not wanting to be the one left out. And so I go out of my way to make sure that um, everybody is included. Um, so that that really has been part of who I am throughout my entire life. And it's come to play in different ways. And I think it's really fitting that I've sort of put myself into a a career situation where like my job every single day is helping people and especially people who are underrepresented um, move into the tech industry and get included in the tech industry, which of course is booming and has a lot of flexibility often and has really high paying salaries. So it feels very aligned with my values that, that this is the work that I get to do every day. And I think it's one of the reasons that, you know, I don't see myself doing anything else. I've been at this for eight and a half years with Juno, nine and a half years if you include my time um, as a founder of Ladies Learning Code beforehand. So pretty much a decade of my life has been this kind of work. And, you know, I, I joke often that like, I think we're about 10 years away from being an overnight success. Um, and like, I'll, I'll be here for that entire journey. I think this is this is what I'm, I'm dedicating my life to. Yeah, well, you mentioned Ladies Learning Code. And that was going to be one of my next questions. How would you uh, advise people who are wanting to create a brand like Ladies Learning Code, which has become Canada Learning Code, which has impacted even more people than you initially probably mm-hmm. imagined it could? Do you have any advice for people building a brand from scratch and maybe changing that brand over time so that it can impact more people as a business? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've gone through two rebrands. Um, I wasn't directly involved with the Canada Learning Code rebrand, but obviously was very involved in Juno's rebrand. Our name used to be HackerU, and we changed it last year. I think on on the idea around building a brand, um, 
you know, some, some tactical advice that I have is, you know, first of all, I think it's important to work with really great designers from the beginning. I really believe that part of why Ladies Learning Code took off um, so quickly the way that it did was because we presented this really professional, polished um, image that made us seem bigger than we were even from the very beginning. Um, so we worked with Studio Function on our design and I've worked with them many times. They also did the Juno uh, rebrand as well. And um that, that was really helpful. And I also think, um, you know, with Ladies Learning Code and Canada Learning Code now, they have this real advantage of being a super lovable brand because they're a nonprofit and now a charity. Um, and you just like love what they stand for. And so that's something that can be really difficult for like for-profit businesses to achieve. You know, we're not going to love our zero accounting software. We're not going to love, you know, the Zencaster, you know, app, app that we're using to record this podcast. Like it just doesn't give you the same emotional connection. The thing about Juno is that it sort of sits in the middle because it is really community focused. Um, um, and so I've found that people have an easier time getting more attached to the the Juno or the HackerU brand than they do sometimes with other things. And that's something that I really love about it. I, I love um, working for a brand that people feel a sense of passion for. Um, in terms of the rebrands themselves, uh, I was really nervous because you hear those stories about, about companies who rebrand and then everything falls apart and, you know, they, they go bankrupt and all of that stuff. And so, you know, I talked to a lot of people um, in advance of the rebrand just being like, how bad of an idea is this? Like, it feels like the right thing for the company, but am I putting things at risk by doing this? And I heard both sides. Uh, we decided to go forward with it anyway. And I think what I learned from that is sometimes people do a rebrand as a sort of Hail Mary. You know, they think, okay, something's not working. Let's do a rebrand to try and fix all of our problems. And this will solve everything and it'll give people a fresh start. Whereas for us, um, the rebrand was really about evolving into who we knew we already wanted to be. So we weren't trying to change anything. We weren't trying to fix anything. It was just about, you know, the name being a better fit for like the way we saw the company going. And I was really, really pleasantly surprised to see with Juno, like how quickly people got attached to the name Juno. People love wearing their Juno sweaters around. Um, you know, we've we've redesigned our office to be sort of Juno branded with Juno colors and and kind of bring the, the brand to life um, in the space as well. And and um, I think, you know, even though it was just over a year ago that we kind of retired the name Hacker U, like it feels like we've always been called Juno for me at this point. So to me, that's the sign of a really successful rebrand. And can you talk about about how you've positioned that with your team and as a leader trying to communicate the importance of the new brand and the the vision behind the name and your impact that you want to create? Yeah. So it's something that I, I just find I need to give people a lot of notice. You know, I'm thinking about things constantly and, and I'm making connections all the time, but um, it's my job to do that and think at a really high level and at a really strategic level. And, and not everybody else is necessarily thinking about that the same way that I am. And so I just find that with my team, it's always better the more notice I I can give people and it makes people really comfortable. So um, with the rebrand, I actually first brought up the idea that we were probably going to have to rebrand in the fall of 2018. Then we did all the work to do the rebrand. We finally launched it September 2019. Um, so it took like a full year to make that happen with, with a lot of different people involved. And then now a year later, you know, it feels totally comfortable and everyone uh, recognizes that that's sort of the perfect name for the, the company. So I think making sure that you give the project enough time, give people a lot of notice to get used to it, make sure you create 
great space for people to bring up, you know, the the, the downsides or the risks that they see. Um, and this is something that I've, I've had to work really hard on as a leader is, you know, I want my team to constantly tell me that my ideas are bad. I want them to see everything that I don't see. I want to hear from them when they think something that I've, I've thought is a good idea is, is actually wrong. Um, so I've had to work really hard to create some space uh, for that to happen because I have a strong personality and I can be very convincing. Um, and so that's been like a, a really big theme of the past year for me as well is making sure that my team knows that like I do want to hear everything that they have to say and I don't want them to just agree with me because it seems easier. Um, and so that's something that my team now is like so successful at and I feel like I'm constantly being told um, why I'm wrong and I like love that so much. I read about whenever you were hosting Ladies Learning Code events, you were exploring on-site childcare. So can you tell me about how that would have been how, how many years ago that you were exploring that? And was that pre you being a parent? Oh, yeah, that would have been like 2011 or 2012, 2013, maybe. So can you just walk us through a little bit of um, or talk us through a bit of how that came about and what ended up happening with that? Yeah, so I mean, very early on with Ladies Learning Code, we got really interested in the idea of inclusivity. And, you know, to be honest, not as much as I would have if if I was if I knew now if I knew then what I know now we would have done more so I don't even think that we did enough but we we definitely were thinking about like how can we make it easier for people to come to these programs and one of the early ideas was can we offer on-site childcare um I would say like during my time there which ended uh at the end of 2013 I would say we didn't take it far enough um but the team has since offered it here and there um I believe they have a partnership with um, a large daycare chain and that helps them to be able to offer childcare for their events. It's also something that we've talked about at Juno, but also not fully um, executed just due to it's kind of complicated. You know, there's some like legal issues, there's liability issues, um, you know, as a parent, and you ask this, like, how do I feel about it now that I'm a parent? Um, you know, I, I don't really leave my kids with strangers. So in terms of how I feel about it, um, it's not necessarily something that I would use personally, but um, I still see that it's really important. And obviously, it gets easier to do that as your kids get older. Um, my kids are still really young, but as it gets older, it gets easier to, to leave them um, with, with strangers. So it's something that I I, I think we need to investigate more and continue looking at um, at Juno. Obviously, right now it's a bit irrelevant because no one can <clears throat> be here physically um, anyway. So if there was going to be some babysitting, it would be in, in someone's own home um, for them to arrange. But it's definitely something I, I always want to keep, you know, keep top of mind when we look at things like inclusivity. It's like, what do we need to do to make sure that these programs are inclusive to everyone? Yeah, and there's so many varying levels of it being executed where you could have, I've seen people who have glass partitions, and so you can see your child in the space. Mm -hmm. There are programs where there's just a play center set up, and there's not necessarily a child minder, but you are letting your child play in an area that's safe for them, while you can also do a bit of work. So there's so many different levels of executing it, depending on your level of comfort. Thanks again to Heather for taking the time to speak about her passion behind the education industry, branding and communication, and leading a team. The next episode will feature the final part of our conversation, where we'll talk about her parenthood journey, what she wishes someone would have told her as a founder starting a family, and the need for universal childcare. Check out Heather and her work at junocollege.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your network and leave a review. It helps other parents find the podcast. You can access more parent-friendly professional development, flexible and remote work with kids resources on my website at mixingbabiesandbusiness.com. Thanks for listening.